Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Hi, we are continuing in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and looking at verses 29 to 34. There is a Christianity which some of the Corinthians seem to be practicing that makes little difference to one's thought and life. And in this resurrection can be set aside, the fellowship deemed not important, the values of the world stand firmly in place. Paul tells the Corinthians, well, you might as well eat and drink for tomorrow you die. Embrace the nihilism, the darkness, or embrace Christ. But know that these are the choices. There is no middle way, a lukewarm Christianity, in which you might deny the bodily resurrection. And so reading from verse 29, Otherwise, what will those who do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I have fought with wild beasts in Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And so Paul links belief in baptism with belief in resurrection mentions baptism for the dead whatever it is it presumes the truth of the resurrection or else their action is self-contradictory is it a proxy baptism vicarious baptism i doubt that paul would allow for such a thing anthony thistleton thinks paul is describing deathbed conversions in which people are baptized though about to die And the Greek here is not proxy baptism. He says, but baptism focused on the dead or on death. The point is that baptism, this is Paul's point, is that baptism without the dimension of resurrection would mean nothing. It would mean nothing in terms of our present life. As Paul says, from day to day I court fatality as I did in Ephesus. The focus only on the death of Christ on his crucifixion, as is the case in much of theology, simply does not connect up with life, ethics, knowing, with the life of the mind. Focus on the resurrection means we can live our lives in identification with Christ and his work. As Paul describes it, we can face death. We can take up fatality with courage, hardship with courage. The idea is that though death is a, he says, coming to the end of itself in other places, this can be a good thing. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the troubles we experience. Again, he mentions Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability. Apparently the crowd had came, you know, we see this in Acts chapter 19, and they're chanting, they're rioting, and Paul wants to go into the auditorium and address the crowd. And even some of these city officials who are his friends, they say, don't go in there, Paul, they're going to kill you. And so they, they literally restrain him from going in, and he leaves the city. But he says it was far beyond our ability to endure 
We despaired of life itself. I guess he was willing to go in there. Indeed, we had felt that we had received the sentence of death, but he says this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We always, he says in 2 Corinthians 4.10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And so we're to live out our identity with Christ's death and his resurrection. We've been buried with him, as he says in Romans 6.4, through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so baptism is the alternative to the body of death. Instead of being joined to negation, to death, you know, tomorrow we die, we are joined to the body of Christ. And this is to lead to a completely different lifestyle. And so my title today is an apocalyptic Christianity. What is being described is an apocalyptic difference, which can be, I think we can illustrate this. I'm going to tell you two versions of the story of Paul's life. And I think in these two versions, we can also see two different kinds of Christianity. The story of Paul's conversion is often described as arising from an introspective conscience in which he recognizes God's righteousness, the heavy requirement of the law, his incapacity to keep the law, and this causes him to feel guilty. He meets Christ, he understands that deliverance is now provided from the requirement of the law, Christ has met the requirements, paid the penalty, grace is now available in place of wrath and punishment. In other words, the story of Paul's conversion is just like Luther's, or more accurately, Luther's conversion and theology become the lens for a revisionist understanding of Paul's conversion. It's necessary, I think, to narrate his story in this way, you know, knowing God, the law, one's incapacity, as it is a link in notions of judgment, justification, which depend upon universal basic knowledge, Romans 1.18 that we read this morning, that there is this natural understanding, or as a Jew, that the law, it could be the law written on the heart or the law given to Moses, and it's on this basis that there's condemnation and release in Christ. So an incapacity of the will is the problem, and the problem is resolved in Christ. There's story one. Contrary to the typical depiction, Paul narrates his pre-Christian understanding in Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 3. He describes his understanding as without fault, guilt-free in regard to the law. He says in Philippians, he considered himself righteous, zealous beyond his peers, bearing the highest qualifications. So he says, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. No introspective, guilt-stricken conscience here, is there? No notion of a failed 
works righteousness. He's not failed in any way, he says. In fact, even the notion of an individually conditioned salvation is missing. Paul's Jewishness, his descent from Benjamin, his Hebrew of Hebrew declaration, maybe he means his Aramaic ability or the way in which he was raised. These aren't earned merits on his part, which he in some way earned these merits or he failed to earn them. These are corporate ethnic markers completely beyond his control. And so his break from his Jewish notion of salvation is not because he felt it inadequate. It was perfectly adequate and more than adequate. He excelled, he says, in his pre-Christian self-understanding. And then on down in 3, 7 to 8, he depicts a radical break with his former knowing, his former identity. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. There is no continuum of knowing, no building on the law of the heart, no guilt, stricken conscience and relief. Paul is describing an apocalyptic, holistic change in which one world is displaced by another. There is no ethical continuity based on the law or what he knew leading to a guilty conscience. So Paul does not begin from what he knew as a Jew or his status as a Hebrew of Hebrews to arrive at his understanding of Christ. In fact, he describes there is a complete change of profit and loss as former advantages in attaining righteousness are now laws. The previous system, and the word here is excremental, it's garbage, it's in comparison. I've suffered the loss of all things, it's rubbish to gain Christ. Whatever he knew previously has been displaced. It's not built upon. His viewpoint, his knowledge, his ethical understanding has been turned inside out. As the former system, which was to his advantage, he now sees as a disadvantage. And so Paul is not describing a progressive realization, a slow conversion. He's juxtaposing two worlds, two ways of knowing, two modes of identity. His former glory is now his shame. His former sense of his own goodness, his zeal, he counted as righteous. And this is the same sort of zeal that causes him to persecute the church. It's probably the same zeal that killed Christ. And he says that because of this, he's the chief of sinners. So the very thing that he would have counted as part of his righteousness now makes him, you know, it's evil. It causes him to be the chief of sinners. This former knowing was deceived, misplaced. It gave rise to evil. The Jew is at no advantage. And though Paul speaks of the Jew having a knowledge of God, having the law of God, this is misguided. And notice in this passage, he's saying the same thing of these Corinthian Christians. He says, you do not know God. These are people in the church. You cannot get to one 
being a Jew, being wise according to this world's wisdom, being religious. You can't get to Christ by clinging to that. The picture is not one of rightly knowing the law or having wisdom, you know, failing to live up to it and feeling guilty. And so far from the usual narrative, Paul is completely positive in his Jewishness, blameless in regards to the law, glorying in his status, in his accomplishments. All of this he describes as knowing according to the flesh. The very thing he's accusing the Corinthians of. The negative evaluation of his former condition, of course, he only has in retrospect being in Christ. There is no available light. He's even misconstrued the Jewish light. There is no natural knowledge of God. No sense of wrong, of ethics. Even given the special revelation to Israel, by which Paul might be judged. In his own pre-Christian judgment, he says, I'm without transgression, according to which he might be condemned guilty. And so Paul's problem is not that he discovered himself guilty and in need of deliverance from God's wrath. Paul's problem is he discovers he was completely deceived in regard to his former manner of life. So if Paul, by his own description, he's ascended to the Jewish theological heights, he's declared himself faultless in regard to the law, and by that very same token, he's the chief of sinners, it turns out the human condition is much worse than commonly reported. One can be evil and have a good conscience. One can have a zealously clear conscience. Religion, law, temple, sacrifice, even of a kind prescribed by God, and this is what he's saying in Corinthians, even Christianity can be so misconstrued so as to promote evil. And ultimately, this is what is at stake, I believe. These two tellings of Paul's story, two theologies, two ways of understanding what Christianity is. The very meaning of good and evil is at stake. The Corinthians, evangelicals, Roman Catholics, presume there is a natural given recognition of good and evil. Human wisdom, one has light available through the law, ethics, conscience, and nature. Christ does not displace an already realized understanding in this theology. And then in contrast, in an apocalyptic understanding, cosmic redemption through resurrection founds a new form of humanity on a different foundation. The failure of humanity in the first Adam is total. It has cosmic consequences, the reign of death, the law of sin and death, the subjection of futility, even of the creation itself. And this subjection, this futility, it's the root meaning of the word, is connected to the lie that reigns in place of the truth. The truth of Christ is not additional information to what we already have or already received. It's the counter to a lie. It's an overcoming of the prevailing darkness. It's a defeat of the reign of death in and through his resurrection. And so the difference between the two comes down to the most basic question. 
And this is what Paul is asking the Corinthians. Which will it be? Nihilism or Christ? Is it the case that what is taken to be good is actually evil? That is, it's a total incapacity of discernment? Or is it all we know good and evil? It's just a problem in our will. The way he's describing these Christians in Corinth, he says, you don't even know God. That's actually the way he describes Gentiles. To their shame, he notes, those who do not know God. He says this in Thessalonians. He's already said this in 1 Corinthians. He's saying that in their denial of resurrection, they're like ignorant pagans who do not know God. Where is God? You know, God is unknown where people are slaves to those, Paul says in Galatians, who by nature are no gods. They have come to know God in Christ, and then he corrects himself, or rather to be known by God, Galatians 4. Not because, you know, oh, they've studied nature real hard, or they've applied themselves to their philosophical studies, but because they have been delivered from slavery to the law of sin and death. Paul depicts human wisdom, even here in Corinthians, as no help in knowing God. The world through its wisdom did not come to know God, he says in 121. And on the basis of this wisdom, this so-called wisdom, they judge the cross of Christ to be foolishness. And so this deliverance is not conditioned on their knowing, but on God first knowing them. The shift is from belief in what is not God, dead, inanimate idols, to the living God. The passage in 2 Thessalonians is from out of a satanic deception to the truth. And so Paul depicts the work of Christ, the resurrection, in particular as deliverance from the law of sin and death, which holds all mankind in its grip. This isn't God's law, but the deceived human orientation to the law. The shift is more radical and all-inclusive than we might have imagined. You know, it's two laws, two ways of knowing, two worlds, and these two do not intersect. One is either found in Adam or one is found in Christ. And to be found in the first is not an aid, it's an obstacle overcome in the second. Now here in Corinthians, Paul boils it down. He says, it's the company you keep. There is meaningless, futile company, community, or there is community of resurrection. Adam instituted the age in which sin and death rule. And there's the community of Adam with its understanding, which you might be shaped. You know, the Corinthians, maybe they're depending on philosophy, on Corinthian wisdom, on the lifestyle around them, the judgments of their pagan friends and neighbors. And they want to tailor their understanding to fit the culture. The belief, I think today, we should demythologize, rationalize, nationalize, sterilize, Make the gospel a stepping stone in the world's wisdom and success. Paul says, this is worse than paganism. We may be found in the first Adam. You know, how are we found in the first Adam? I suppose that being American is a way. Being Japanese. That is, I think we're enculturated into this. It's not that when I was five years old, I stole a cookie. And now I'm guilty, which identifies me with Adam. It's the fact that I was educated, shaped, and learned to identify myself through a particular culture, country, way of being, I believe that puts me with the first Adam. 
And so too I am discipled, identified with, and take on identity with the community of the resurrection. Rather than a death-dealing identity, Paul's describing living out a resurrected identity. This eat, drink, for tomorrow you die. Paul suggests that their skepticism, this is actually the Jews faced with an attack by the Assyrians. He says you sound just like the Jews on that day. Instead of facing their fate, they knew they were about to die. Instead of weeping or crying out for deliverance, they said, let's party like there's no tomorrow. Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We already know this about the Corinthians. They're really into eating, right? They have an eating problem. They have a drinking problem. They have a sex problem. Some of them are visiting prostitutes. They've not quite gotten the point of resurrection lifestyle. And Paul's point is you're shaped by the community, by the company you keep. People are not individually rational, cognitive, but we're shaped corporately. And so resurrection is corporate, resurrection lifestyle, so is sin. And it pertains to the way, certainly how we are as individuals, putting on life or death. And so Christ is inaugurating a new age, a new kingdom, a new community. And participation in the death and resurrection of Christ involves us in a different communion, community, identity, and culture. And Christ's kingdom then is overcoming and defeating. You know, this is just the verse right above this. Defeating the dominions and powers of this world. And it's the latter, the dominions and powers is not preparation for the kingdom of God, but that which is annihilated by the kingdom of God. Paul's former manner of life was not an aid to his Christianity, but a deceived fleshly confidence, he says. Garbage to be disposed of. Take out the garbage, put off the lie, and put on Christ, I believe is what Paul is saying. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.